You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. I picked my own favorite Bible passage, Clint. This comes from Matthew's Gospel, the 16th chapter. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others, Elijah, or still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but... Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have the honor of giving the sermon and the charge to Clint this afternoon. So I'm going to be speaking to Clint. Where's Clint? He's way over there. I'm going to be giving a charge to Clint, but I I pray that these words will be edifying and illuminating to each and every one of us this this afternoon. Leslie Newbegin, a church historian, theologian, said this. He said, nothing is clearer in our Lord's teaching than this, that leadership among his people is not to be modeled on the pattern of leadership of the world. I found that to be a very, very big and bold statement. Nothing is clearer in the scriptures than the leadership model that Jesus provided for us. I think he's right. Let us pray. Lord, these are your words. And thus, it is you who should speak them. Do that, we humbly ask, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. I don't know if there are fewer pleasures in this life more wonderful than having the right answer. I mean, it's just a great thing to be in a group of people and a professor, let's say, ask a question. For whatever reason, on that particular day, you raise your hand and you give the right answer and have that professor say, wow, well done. Isn't that a great feeling? It's just a great feeling to have the right answer. My dad, one of his favorite things was, was, this is a generational thing, but he used to love to watch Jeopardy, the TV show Jeopardy. So whenever we were in town, the family would gather. Seven o'clock, we would watch Jeopardy. And I don't know what happens, but you absolutely get consumed by this. And all of your being is striving to yell out the right answer, as if 
Then you yell it out, and then everyone in the room is going to look at you and go, oh my gosh, wow, how smart are you? You are incredibly, something transforms you and takes over at that. You become this weird Jeopardy person, and you just want that praise from everybody in the room. A few years ago, our son, our, our son has pretty severe autism, so he doesn't say many words at all. His vocabulary is very limited. And what he, loves, what he does, though, is he loves Disney movies and other movies, and so he gets stuck. Autism is a strange, funny thing. He gets stuck on phrases, and he repeats them over and over and over again. Sometimes he has repeated phrases from a Disney movie. We don't know why. It, no rhyme or reason. But one year, when he was in school, he got stuck on this phrase from the penguins of Madagascar. And the phrase was, good work, boys. You captured the elephant. <laughs> you laugh. You think this is funny. But try hearing that all day for a year every day. Andrew, uh, Lord love him. I mean, it was funny for a while. But oh my gosh, good work, boys. You captured the elephant. He would just say this over and over and over again. It was hysterical. Good work, boys. You captured the elephant. Good work, boys. You captured the elephant. Oh my gosh, we were going crazy by this. We didn't even know what it meant. One day we got a call from Andrew's school. And there was a somber voice. And they said, we need to tell you about an incident in Andrew's classroom. Now, these are pretty severe special needs folks. They said one of the bigger kids in the class had what we in the special needs community call a meltdown, big anxiety attack. And they, they explained, you know, Johnny had a meltdown, and we had to bring in two men and actually restrain him and hold him down on the ground. And it was really sad. And they said at that moment, Andrew walked up and said, good work, boys. You captured the elephant. <laughs> and it was like the stars aligned. And Andrew had the right answer. <laughs> Never had we ever been so proud as parents at that moment. <laughs> then they said the whole class started laughing. And it t eased the tension in the entire room. And it was wonderful. In our text, we learn that Peter, in front of everyone, Peter had the right answer. Matthew take, tells us it took place in Caesarea Philippi. This is located about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee on the slopes of Mount Hermon. Um, it's, it's named after one of King Herod's sons, Philip, who became ruler over this region at his father's death. He rebuilt the city, um, attached his own name to it to distinguish it from another town, Caesarea, over on the Mediterranean coast. Caesarea Philippi was kind of like the Las Vegas of its time of ancient Palestine. It was a gateway place, nice climate, over-the-top architecture. It was outside the boundaries of Israel, so the Jewish morality codes really didn't apply there much. In other words, what happened in Caesarea Philippi stayed in Caesarea Philippi. It was kind of a wild, crazy place. And there were lots of exotic spiritual options to choose from. Historians tell us that in the area around Caesarea Philippi, there were no less than 14 temples, 14, to worship the Syrian uh, fertility god Baal, uh, whose worship services were 
can't even describe. They were wild. It was a lot of just really, really wild sexuality, <clears throat> all kinds of things. This is what was going on in Caesarea Philippi. And right in the heart of the city itself, with a deep cavern, there was a birthplace of Pan, the Greek god of nature. That's what they said. So their worship got really, really wild. Um, but the really big deal was the huge temple that Philip built there, all white, tribute to Caesar, the great Roman god. So are you getting the picture of what's going on? All kinds of religious happenings in Caesarea Philippi. And it was there, in the midst of all that craziness going on, Jesus pulled his disciples around and he, he says, I have a question for you. You know what's going on, all these people worshiping, different deities. Who do you say that the Son of Man is? This is his question to the 12. Who do you say? Now, the disciples began answering um, easily. They said, some say you're John the Baptist, but others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But Jesus is really pointed here. It's not what other people are saying. Who do you say? I want to know personally from you that who the Son of Man is. And with spiritual insight beyond his own ability to even comprehend, Simon spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He identified Jesus correctly as the Messiah, the one that the Jews had been waiting for for centuries. And Jesus responded, and I think this is such a wonderful passage in Scripture. Jesus looked at Simon in front of all the others, and he said, yes, that is the right answer. Well done. A plus. You did it, Simon. That's an incredible answer. I mean, I, I just try and imagine the look on Simon's face at this point. I mean, everyone's looking at him going, wow, you, you're pretty smart. You got that right. That's such a great feeling. It's an amazing feeling. I mean, gleaming with pride at that moment, everyone knowing that he got the answer right. Here's what I want to say. There is a lot to say about this passage, but I want to focus in on really peering close to what Jesus models here. He gave Peter a moment of glory. Simon, his name is going to become Peter. He gave him a glory moment. He let him have the right answer. Jesus could have said at that moment, you know, Simon, that's a decent answer, but you've got a long way to go. Your theology exam on your ordination test was a little shaky. You know, Simon, good start. That's nice. But, you know, in the scheme of knowing everything, you only know this much. He could have actually pretty much crushed Simon at that point. He had every right to. But he didn't. Um, and we know this because Simon really five minutes later says something really dumb about Jesus. I mean, he really doesn't get it. I mean, really, 10 minutes later, Jesus calls him Satan and says, you're missing the entire thing. But for this moment, but for this moment, he gives him this great moment of glory, Jesus does. 
And there's no reason, there's no reason to not to believe that each and every one of the other disciples had a moment like this as well. It stands to reason. When I was in seminary, at Princeton Seminary, there was a Bible scholar who taught Greek. His name was uh, Dr. Cullen Story. One of the most amazing men I've ever met in my life. And one of the most learned scholars, and he came out of retirement. He was 85 years old. And he came out to teach us, and he taught with passion and energy and imagination. I learned so much for Dr. Story. I was young, and I just, you know, thought, what the heck? And three of my friends and I, we went to Dr. Story, and we said, hey, this is a crazy idea, but would you be interested in teaching us and have a Bible study with us? And this incredible scholar, amazing man, agreed, and he said, yes, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I thought, no way, he didn't have time for us. So every Monday morning, we sat with Dr. Story. This, he knows the Bible better than anyone on the planet. He knows he's incredible. And he walked us with us through John's gospel. It was such a gift. And I will never forget one time, I don't know what it was, but we were just going through fumbling along, and I said something, and Dr. Story said, wait, stop. What did you just say? And I was really terrified at this point, and I repeated it. And he said, that's incredible. I've never thought of that before. That's amazing. I got to tell you, I have never forgotten those words. Do you know what that did for me? I didn't even know if I could make it through seminary at that point. Really, I thought this is, I was intimidated and this great Bible scholar pointed me out in front of my friends and said, that's incredible insight, what you just said. I've never forgotten that. That was such an incredible gift. Clint, you were called to follow Jesus and do likewise. You're called to be a pastor, teacher, a preacher, My prayer and hope is that you will look for ways for others to have glory. My hope is that you will get out of the limelight. Let others be right. Heap praise and affirmation whenever others have the right answer. We want what we want is what Jesus wanted. We want to have others confess with their lips that Jesus is Lord. You have such a great opportunity to do what Jesus did, to step back and let some of your elders, some of this congregation, see and say, and for you, the learned scholar, to say, wow, where did you get that insight? Amazing. Maybe that means we all need to ask more questions than giving answers. It means looking for opportunities to give others praise, letting others have the limelight. Leonard Bernstein, the conductor of the New York Philharmonic, was asked some years ago, what's the most difficult instrument to play? He said, with a wry smile and a twinkle in his eye, second fiddle. It's the hardest instrument to play. I think he's right. 
practice playing second fiddle. It's what Paul said. It's what Jesus modeled. He humbled himself. Leave the room letting others feel more important. Clint, we do not need others to follow you. We do not need this congregation to be Clint followers. And furthermore, we do not need any more celebrity pastors. Amen? We have too many of those. We want others to see Jesus through you. Second thing, Jesus gives even more grace to Simon when he says, upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus continues, says, as long as you've named me Simon, I'm going to name you. You are now Peter. Gave him a new name. Simon, your new name is Peter, which means rock. On this rock, I will build my church. Now, as you might know, this has been a controversial passage throughout the centuries. What is this rock that Jesus will build his church on? Is it the person of Peter? This is what our Catholic friends say, that the church is built on the person Peter, when Jesus said that. We in our Protestant world say, no, that's not accurate interpretation. What Jesus meant was, I will build my church on the confession that Peter gave. I will build my church whenever someone says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. When that happens, a church is being built. The kingdom is being exposed and brought forth. It's not the person, it's the message. The confession, that is the rock. The point here is what Peter does not who he is. Peter points to Jesus. Jesus is the builder of the church. He is the foundation. Jesus says, I will build my church. We talk in our presbytery about church planting, and sometimes we get into the habit of saying, you know what, we need to go out. Luke Parker over here is in charge of all of eco church planting. Sometimes we get caught and we say, what we need to do is go out and plant a church. That sounds like we have work to do, right? We have things to do. We've got to get it done. We've got to get it accomplished. But Jesus doesn't say, Peter, you are going to build my church. He says, when you confess that I am Lord, I will build my church. Okay, are you with me? He gave Peter glory, the right answer, the right moment. And then he goes to him even further. He says, and by the way, Peter... I'm going to do all the heavy lifting. I'm going to be the one responsible. I'm going to be the one who is building this church. I just want you to keep confessing me as Lord and Savior and sharing that message. Clint, this is what we need you to do. We need you to keep declaring Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, confessing over and over and over again. Do it with joy do it with humility, do it with enthusiasm, do it with conviction, do it in word and do it in sacrament. When our neighbors argue online about CNN or Fox News, our job is to say as pastors with as much humility and gentleness as we can, but Jesus Christ is Lord. A few years ago, I was sitting in my office preparing for a sermon 
and on my, it was the book of John, and I, on my shelf, I pulled down a commentary by Dr. Cullen's story, my old professor. It had been 20 years since I'd been in his class. And I was sitting reading his words about the Gospel of John, these amazing words. And as I, as I was going through it, it occurred to me at that moment, it was a Holy Spirit moment, it occurred to me, I didn't give him any new insight. Of course he knew what I was talking about back then. He wanted me to have that moment. What was more important to him back then was that I feel encouraged, supported, that I keep going into a position where I can confess Jesus Christ as Lord. This is an amazing gift. But my charge to you this afternoon is quite simple. Three words. Walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Will you do that? Will you just walk with him? We do not need any more larger-than-life pastors. We do not need any more TV shows. We do not need any more leadership seminar speakers. We have plenty of pastors clamoring to play the lead in the orchestra. What we are dying for is for someone who will walk with Jesus and confess him as Lord. That is your task, and that is what we need. Sometimes walking with Jesus won't always make sense to you. Sometimes it will feel like you are walking alone. Sometimes the events of the day or the pain of your life or others will make walking with Jesus very costly or painful. In those times, will you please just keep walking with Jesus? Will you please keep confessing him as Lord and Savior? It is what the church needs. It is what we, your friends, and church family need. I'll end with these words. These words were read at my ordination many, many years ago, and I have not forgotten them. These are words from Eugene Peterson. Clint, we are going to ordain you to this ministry, and we want your vow that you will stick to it. This is not a temporary job assignment, but a way of life that we need lived out in our community. We know you are launched on the same difficult belief venture in the same dangerous world as we are, we know that your emotions are as fickle as ours and your mind is as tricky as ours. That is why we are going to ordain you and why we are going to exact a vow from you. We know that there will be days and months, maybe even years, when we won't feel like believing anything and won't want to hear it from you. And we know there will be days and weeks, maybe even years, when you won't feel like saying it. It doesn't matter. Do it. You are ordained to this ministry. You are taking a vow to it. There may be times when we come to you as a committee or delegation and demand that you tell us something else than what we are telling you now. Promise right now that you will not give into it of what we are demanding. You are not the minister of our changing desires or our time-conditioned understanding of our needs or our secularized hopes for something better. With these vows of ordination, we are lashing you fast to the mast of word and sacrament so that you will be unable to respond to the siren voices. There are many other things to be done in this world. We're going to be doing some of them. 
But if we don't know the foundational realities, God, kingdom, gospel, we're going to end up living futile fantasy lives. Your task, Clint, is to keep telling us the basic story, representing the presence of the Spirit, insisting on the priority of God, speaking the biblical words of command and promise and invitation. That or something very much like that is what I understand the church to say to the individuals it ordains to be its pastors. My charge to you, Clint, is walk with Jesus. Will you do that? I know you will. May the Lord bless you in your ministry. Let us pray.